0: A couple of months ago we had a prayer session here at Grace Church where uh, we, the elders of Grace Church anointed people with oil and it was an amazing thing. There's a lady that came forward and uh, asked if I would anoint her with oil and, and she told me she had terminal cancer and so I said sure I'll do that. And my heart went out to her and bottom line is is that I prayed for her. I I got a text from her about two months later, and she says, I'm going to my oncologist. Would you please pray for me? I have an appointment this morning. And I said, Sure, uh, let, me, let me know what the outcome is. And, and so she texted me about two hours later, and she said, Hey, my oncologist can't find one speck of cancer in my body. And so I say that to you to say that God does heal today. And we serve the same God, the same God of the Old Testament. And uh, it is a powerful thing when you think about the fact that we get to be in relationship with him. And sometimes he chooses a different route, and that's okay too. And uh, so I pray and trust that wherever you are in your journey that you will find comfort today. And so today I get the privilege of starting a brand new series. We're going to start this series in the book of Psalms. And uh, today I get the privilege of talking about Psalm 90. And uh, Psalm 90 is the one solo psalm that Moses wrote. And so most of them are written by David and some other people. But Moses finds his way into this uh, hymn book. And I said hymn book in the, in, uh, the earlier services. And my wife said, hey, uh, the younger crowd doesn't know what a hymn book is. So, um, so this, is your spot, this would be Israel's Spotify account. And so you kind of relate to that. So this is their playlist, right? So Psalm 90 is an amazing, amazing, amazing psalm. And so I want to set the historical context for the psalms and for this particular psalm. Uh, The psalms are a collection of writings to Yahweh, songs of Yahweh, and they are amazing. If you read, I'm in the psalms every day, and as you read through the psalms, you'll discover some great truths about God. And in particular, this psalm, which is attributed to Moses, is written in a context. So I want to give you the context that's found for us probably in Numbers chapter 20. This is what the story is as, as Moses writes this psalm. Moses has lost his beloved sister Miriam, Miriam and, and uh, he's devastated by that. Aaron has died, and Moses in his frustration with God. Anybody ever been frustrated with God? Moses in his frustration with God uh, strikes the rock that was following them. That rock was Christ. Christ was following Israel around in the desert. Moses, in his frustration, strikes the rock. And as a result, God says to Moses, guess what? You're not going to take the people of Israel into the promised land. That's not, for your, that's not your job anymore. And so Moses has lost his way. Moses has, has grown in a, in a little bit of despair Anybody find themselves in a place where they're upside down in their life and you don't know which side's up and uh, you don't, you know, you find yourself where God is distant and maybe uh, even non existent in your life, this psalm is for you. And Moses writes this psalm as a therapeutic way back to God. It's a lament. And uh, laments are very powerful. And so Moses writes this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this psalm up close and personal, and I think you're going to see Moses' journey, and maybe you can relate to it and figure out where you belong in the story. And in the process, what you're also going to discover in the psalms in general, and in this particular psalm, you're going to find attributes of God, like his holiness and his compassion and his wisdom and his power and his goodness and his truth, all those things you're going to discover in this psalm. In fact, we're going to, I'm going to have Karen come out and read the psalm to us. Uh, And then we're going to kind of jump into it. But what I want you to do in the meantime is I want you to be listening for those attributes that I just explained about who God is. Look for God in this psalm and see who he really is. So let's read that text now, and then we'll jump into the psalm and talk about it. So Karen, where are you? Where did Karen go? She's coming. I heard her. Doo, 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 doo. Oh, there she is. She's made her entrance right now. Here she is. It's okay.
1: I'm excited to read from the New Living Translation. Would you guys stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They are like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but in the evening it's dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. And then verse 13 says, O Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful.
0: You can be seated. So when you've been devastated by your own personal sin, anybody ever find themselves devastated by their own personal sin? Amen? Because last week we talked, or a couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we're the villain of our, when it comes to our God story, we're the villain in the story. We're not the hero. Jesus is the hero and so oftentimes we find ourselves stumbling and falling and messing up in life and we lose our bearings and sometimes just life happens to us and so this psalm is gonna help us find our bearings again that's what happened in Moses life as he works through his own personal sin and as he works through his uh, loss in his life he finds God in a different and powerful and unique way and so uh, that's where we're gonna head with this psalm so we're going to set our bearings today. And so to do that, we're going to kind of walk through this, this section of Scripture. So there's something that I want to say right up front is that Moses now is reminiscing. He's remembering his former days. He's remembering something about God. We find that in verses 1 and 2. So this is what it says, Lord, through all the generations you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, you, you, before you gave birth to the earth and the world from beginning to end, you are God. So, in this section of scripture, uh, this is, what Moses is discovering, what Moses is remembering is that God is the source of life, that God is the source of life, and that is what Casey and Kendall are holding on to right now, and that's what we need to hold on to, is that God is the source of life. That's what God, that's what Moses remembered about God. And so often in our lives, we forget that, that we, sometimes we get twisted around and think somehow we're the source, that we're the, we're the hero of our story, and the rea- reality is that's not true, and Moses discovered it the hard way. So when I was growing up, I discovered something that, that uh, uh, as, you know, an eight-year-old was fascinating to me, and that is that I discovered the power of reflection. And so I, f- I found out that I could go out into light, and uh, let's turn the lights down for just a second. We'll be right back with those lights. And so uh, I discovered that you could take a mirror and you could really mess with people. <laughs> <laughs> Eight years old, I mean, I'm mean, i just saying, I'm not going to shine this in your, light, in your eyes unless you're my enemy. Maybe I will, I don't know. And, uh, but... If I did shine this in your eyes, I mean, you could see, I probably just got somebody, uh, you can see that this is uh, a really powerful reflection. And the reality is, is that that's what we are. Life is about discovering that I am not the source of life. I I am the reflection of the Son of God. That is really the truth of who I am. And... In any circumstance that I'm in, wherever I am, or whatever circumstance I find myself in, this is what I can know for sure. I am not the source of life. I am the reflection. I'm a broken, fragmented piece of mirror. And all I have to do is whatever circumstance that I'm in, it takes all the pressure off me and puts it on God. All I have to do is learn how to reflect God in every circumstance that I'm in. Wherever you are right now, your responsibility is to learn the principle of reflecting the glory of God. What a privilege that is for you and I, right? Hello out there? Come on, I mean, nine o'clock, they actually got that, okay, amen. So in, in, in every way, I am this reflection of who God is. I am not the source of life. Life, all I can do is just take my broken, fragmented piece of mirror and reflect the glory of God. And when I do that, I'm living right in the center of God's will. That's what Moses remembered is that God is the source of his life. And I'm going to ask you a question. You know, sometimes we get twisted around and somehow we forget that I am just a responder in this story. That's all I am. In my story that God is writing... In my life, I am just a responder. I respond to the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God, and everything else is up to him. And so wherever you are, whatever circumstance you're going through, I would ask you to consider the fact that you are a broken, fragmented piece of mirror, and your only job description, your only one, the only thing that God asks you to do is reflect his glory. And as you reflect his glory, people are drawn to God, and you get the great privilege of having the joy of the Lord in the journey. That's what Moses discovered. The second thing that I want you to notice with me is that Moses, Moses concluded something, and that's found for us in verses three and four. He says, You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals, for you are a thousand years for, for you, a thousand years are as a passing day, as a brief as as a few night hours. Moses remembered that he was mortal, and what he means by that are two thoughts here. First of all, um, he realized that he was not, because he was not the source of life because that is not true of his life, then all he could do is that he could discover and remember and think about the fact that he, as God's creation, is... There's just a vapor here. There's, just, there's, there's the breath of life. And he discovered that the meaning of life isn't found in my 401K, isn't found in any of those places. My, the meaning of life is found in the beauty of me being a responder to God and the beauty of knowing that my life is just a vapor here on this planet. And, you know, the reality is, and this is what I'm going to say, and this is going to offend a lot of people in the room, but the, the fact is is that, is that life is not about fulfilling your dreams. It's not. Let me say that one more. I know that a lot of people on Facebook are saying, you know, you can just have all your dreams fulfilled. I'm gonna tell you they're lying to you. I'm just saying that right up front. Smile me when I say that. <laughs> I love you. But I'm telling you that God doesn't mean this life to be the fulfillment of all of your dreams. He wants some of those dreams to be left on the table because by being left on the table, you learn how to depend upon him. You learn to walk. As a broken person, you learn to walk, reflecting the glory of God. So the truth of your life is that I, I, I get it. I get it. You know, there's all these self-help books and there's all these things that talk about, you know, how you can fulfill all your dreams and you can have this vacation here and you can go here and you can go there. But the problem with that vacation there is that when you show up there, you find out you're there. And you know how broken you really are. And, <clears throat> and I'm just saying, God has never meant for this life to be the fulfillment of all of your dreams. Do you understand that? Do you get that? I mean, that is so important because unfulfilled expectation is probably one of the most difficult things in life. Unfulfilled expectation. So if you set the right expectations, the, the reality is, <clears throat> excuse me, the reality is, is that your life is designed to be one french fry short of a happy meal. That's what your life is <laughs> meant to be. It's never meant to be all that you dreamed. And I, I realize we tell five-year-olds, what do you want to be? and what, How do you want to dream? I'm just telling you, we're setting a lot of people up for a life that is filled with disappointment. There's something better than having all your dreams fulfilled. There is. And that is a genuine, intimate walk with God where He is on this journey with you in the process. That's so much better than anything you could possibly imagine or ever dream in your life. And I, I just want to take, that, take a moment and just let you, let that soak in in your life because it is so good. Oscar Wilde Wild said, uh, there are two tragedies in this life. One is not getting what one wants, and the other one is getting what you want. Two tragedies. What Moses learned in verse number 12, it says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. What Moses learned here is he, he learned to look at every day as a gift from God. So right now, some of you are facing today some very ex- painful circumstances in life, right? Look at me when I say that. Some of you have illnesses. Some of you have, uh, you're losing a friend, a a family member to death. You're facing some very difficult things in life. Maybe the loss of a job, a career, a wife, a husband. I don't know what it is, but you do. And here's what I want you to know. In the midst of that tragedy, in the midst of that circumstance in in your life, what Moses learned is that Every day is a gift from God. Every day is a gift from God. Today is your gift. Your gift. It is a gift from God. And as you approach life from that perspective, I'm going to tell you, you're going to discover something about life that is so important. And the reason we need to live that way is that I don't know if you notice this or not, but life is a vapor. That's, that's what Moses learned: his life is a vapor. Thirty-three years ago, when I started this church, I blinked, and here we are today. You know, I looked in the mirror and I go, "Who in the heck is that guy?" And where did he come from? Life is a vapor. And and the older I get, the faster it goes. Life is a vapor. So what I've got to learn to do in the process of life is that I've got to learn to take every day and accept it as God's gift and make, make the most of it. As I learn to reflect the glory of God in my life, I've got to look at the opportunities that I have today to reflect the glory of God in every circumstance that I have. So that means that today... That today, listen to me carefully, today is the most important day that you have. Today. Not tomorrow. Not last week. Today is the most important day that you have in your life because today is a day that you have the opportunity to step in a relationship with God and reflect His glory and live life to the fullest extent that He desires you to live. And it is so powerful and so good. And so I just hope and pray that you get that today is your gift. Today is a gift. So take advantage of that day. That's what Moses discovered. So we're right in the middle of the NBA Finals. And, you know, they, they actually ended for me a couple weeks ago because I'm a Boston Celtics fan. And uh, let's just take a moment of silence for them this season. And uh, I've been a Boston Celtics fan since I was eight years old. And so, I'm, you know, so, the, so the, the series is over for me. But I do have... A, a hero in the NBA that I think walks a pretty good Christian life, and that is Steph Curry. And, uh, you know, he walks a, a pretty consistent rela- a relationship with God, both on the court and off the court. I mean, he's human, obviously. But what is interesting is is that it doesn't matter what you say about yourself. It matters what your wife says about you, Right. So I want to quote to you some things that Steph Curry's wife said about him, or says about him. First of all, she says that there is no difference between him on the court and off the court. And a few years back, they, they, you know, they had a devastating loss in the playoffs, and they lost you know, the championship, and... And uh, so his wife writes about that experience, and she said, you know, he mourned. He's He's a competitor. He wants to win as much as anybody ever wants to win. But he mourned for three days, and then he picked himself up, and he then became the same happy guy that he's always been because this is what she said about him, because he discovered that his worth is not found in his wins and his losses or his rings. Soak that in. His worth is not found in how much money he makes in a contract for next season. His worth is not based on any of those things. So the question then is what are you worth? I mean, you're not Steph Curry, right? Maybe he's here today. I don't know, he's not here. You're not Steph Curry? You don't probably have any claim to fame. Maybe, maybe some people have some claim to fame in the, my audience today. Uh, but the reality is, is we all have to discover where our worth comes from. So the question that I want to ask you today is where does your worth come from? How much are you worth? So I ask this questions to, to people all the time. People come to my office. I don't know why because I say hard things to them. And so they, but they keep coming back. I don't know why. And you all keep coming back to Grace Church. And I, I'm, I marvel every day at that. And uh, so I want to ask you a question. What are you worth? And I want you to answer that question legitimately. What are you worth? Can you know what you're worth? And the answer to that question is you can know absolutely what you're worth. You can know it without any doubt. And your worth isn't based on your wins and losses, your illnesses, or your victories. Your your worth is not based on any of those things. Your worth is found someplace else. So where is that found? So let me just... Take a step back, and let me see if I can help you understand what you're worth. And normally when I ask this question, people look to the ground because, and I ask, what are you worth? They say, I don't know. I don't know what I'm worth. And if you're depending upon somebody else to determine your worth, you're barking up the wrong tree. You you just are. You're just looking in the wrong place. So if you were to go to Walmart this afternoon and you were to buy a book, You were to pick up a book and say, I want to read this book. You take it up to the counter. The question is, who establishes the worth of that book? And most people say, well, Walmart does. They put the price on it, but that is not the right answer. You know who establishes the worth of that book? It's the purchaser. Because you as the purchaser can walk up to that counter and say, no, thank you. I'm not going to buy this book. And you can walk out of the store, you can put it down and say, no, that's way too expensive, I'm not going to buy that. So Walmart bases its prices based on what the consumer is willing to pay. You're in charge of that. So the question then is, where do I find, I'm not a book, but where do I find my worth? And the answer to that question is simply this, you find your worth. And this is what Moses discovered, and this is what you need to discover. You find your worth by based, based on what someone was willing to pay for you. So Jesus emptied himself of the right to be regarded as God, went to the cross, and died for your sins and established your worth for all eternity. You know what your worth is? I can tell you without any doubt, you are, you are, you are so valuable, you are worth God's Son. That is what you're worth. And you should stand before a mirror every day And say out loud, I am worth God's Son because when you walk out your door, everybody around you will try to destroy your worth. But you, as a child of God, are worth God's Son. And that can never be altered. No sin can ever change that. No amount of despair, no amount of of loss can ever change that. You are worth God's Son because that's what He was willing to pay for you. That's your worth. And if you don't take anything that I've ever said in all the ministry that I've ever done here Grace, if you don't take anything else, take that. Because that is worth its, that statement is worth its price in gold. I mean, it really is to know what I am worth and not let anything else ever affect what I'm worth. I'm not based on my performance. Everyone is going to go grow tired and old and everyone ends up in the same place, the grave. And I'm just telling you, At some point, you have to make a decision that you're going to determine to accept or reject the worth that God has stamped on your life. I am worth God's son, and I'm just telling you, as you think about that, it is the most important thing that anyone could ever give to you. So with that thought in mind, Moses then, learning that concept, learning his worth in God, asked God for four things. And these are four things that I think are transferable to you and I, 21st century America, very applicable to you and I. So here's what Moses requested of God. He sinned, he's lost his way, he's working his way back, he describes God, he talks about who God is, and then he asked God for four things. The first thing that that Moses asked God for is he asked God for compassion. Because he knew who he was. He knew what he had done. He knew that when he took up that rod and struck the rock, that was, a major, that was a major mistake. Anybody here ever make major mistakes with God? Anybody here at all? Okay, so we're in the right camp here, right? So what do I do when I do that? I just ask God for his compassion. That's what Moses did. In Psalm 90, verse 13, it says, Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants have compassion on your servants and here's the deal God is more than willing to give you compassion he is more than willing to give you compassion he's longing for you to ask he wants you to ask for compassion and he is a compassionate loving God and every time you have lost your way As you cry out to him, he's willing to give you that compassion that you need because in the end, that's exactly what you and I need every day is we need the compassion of our our Father in heaven every single second. That's what Moses asked for. The second thing that Moses asked for is that he asked for contentment in his life. He asked this thing. this, This is a commodity that is so important and is so undervalued in our culture, he asks for contentment. In Psalm 90, verse 14, it says, satisfy, this is what Moses cries out to God, and he says, satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love, so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. He's asking for contentment. Satisfy, that's the word I'm looking at. Satisfy us every day with who you are. Your unfailing love, satisfaction, is something that, that it's so important in our life, and, and we live in a world that lives in a way that is, I think is unsatisfied. We live in a, a, a world that is, does not even understand how to spell the word contentment. And how do, how do I know that? The evidence that we're not content is by how much stuff that we accumulate all the time. And you know what is interesting to me? This is funny, is that storage units in America are a real big thing. The industry itself, get this. Now, what do you do with a storage unit? You take stuff that you're tired of looking at, You with me? You take stuff that you're tired of looking at. You don't know. You you tried to sell it at your garage sale, but nobody bought it because they didn't want to look at it either. (laughs) You take that stuff and you you buy a storage shed or or rent a storage shed. You put that stuff in the storage shed, and uh, there you are. Voila, there you have And so you're paying so much money. You know how much people in America spend on storage units every year? $14 billion on storage sheds, storage units so that they can, they can keep stuff that they don't want anymore. <laughs> but they're willing to pay to keep it. I mean, we're just kind of you know, weird about that. And so I'm just saying what Moses cried out for is he cried out and asked God, please let me live in a satisfied way. Satisfy me with you. Not with stuff. With you. See, satisfaction doesn't come. I'm going to be popular here today. It's okay. Satisfaction. My wife loves me today. Satisfaction doesn't come through relationships because they're sometimes conflictual, right? So sometimes we're satisfied, sometimes we're not. Satisfaction doesn't come through stuff because we all bought that new car and then we're thinking, I need a new one, man. This this is junk. This is three years old now. I, I can't, you know, satisfaction doesn't come there. Satisfaction doesn't come by buying a house because that's just measured by the fact that we're always looking for something bigger, better, and fancier, right? Satisfaction can only genuinely come when we find it in God himself. We're satisfied with God's chesed love, his loyal love, his covenantial love. Every day of our life, we wake up and we say, God, make me content, make me satisfied with who you are. The third thing that Moses asked for is Moses asked for favor. In verse 17, it says, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor, there's that word, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Let the favor of God be upon us. Favor is what gives us meaning to life. Favor. When God favors us, when we live in God's favor, when we live under God's blessing and God's power and God's favor, um, That is the only way really to find our way back in a very confusing and uh, and disconcerting world. Favor gives us meaning to life. Think of it this way. Moses, because of his sin, has lost his way. He's lost his purpose. His purpose was to lead the children of Israel to the promised land, and now he doesn't get to do that. So what he cries out to God and he says, listen, God, what I need is your favor. I need your favor. I need to know that I'm living in your favor again. Have you ever asked God for that? Lord, I want to live in your favor. That's what Moses cried out. And then the last thing, and by the way, when I say last thing, that means I have another 30 minutes in my sermon. (laughs) The last thing that that Moses cries out for is purpose. Psalm uh, uh, 90 verse 17 says, Establish for us the work of our hands. His purpose, he asked he God for purpose. And again, I asked you a few minutes ago, do you understand what you're, you know, what you're worth? And now I want to ask you this very important question. Do you know what your purpose is? Do you know what your purpose is? Do you know what your purpose is? Because I can tell you, if you want to know what your purpose is, I can tell you from the word of God, I'm very accurate with this because I know the word pretty well kind of well, as well as somebody, you know, that's broken can know it. But here's the thing. I know what God's purpose is for your life. And it has nothing to do with your retirement. It has nothing to do with your career. It has nothing to do with your relationships around you. You know what God's purpose is for your life? Well, again, let's take a step back, and let me just share it with you this way. So Jesus is going to be crucified. He takes his disciples He knows he's going to die. He takes his disciples up to an upper room. And he shares with them the most important things of life, including what their purpose would be. So in John 15, Jesus says to his disciples, and this is, in my opinion, this is the central teaching of Jesus on what I'm supposed to be doing on this planet. John 15. He takes his disciples in the upper room and he says this. He says, I am the true vine and you're the branches. And then he says, your job description is to abide in me. Abide in me. And if you abide in me and I in you, you can ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. There's so many great promises in there. And then he talks about this relationship that we have. And this is where we get down to the purpose of God. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So your purpose in life is to stay connected to me. That's your purpose in life. So listen to this carefully. Don't miss this. This is worth every cent you paid to get here. Listen to me very carefully. Your purpose in life is to be in a fruit-bearing relationship to Jesus. That's it. Your purpose in life is is to be in a fruit-bearing relationship to Jesus Christ. That's what he said. That's what he said in John 15. That's what he told his disciples. Your purpose is to be in a fruit-bearing relationship to me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what you should get up every day and say to God, what you should do every stinking day of your life is that you should get up and say, my purpose today, my purpose today is to be in a fruit-bearing relationship to Jesus Christ. Whatever else you do in the scope of all things doesn't matter. But what does matter what does matter is that you're in a fruit-bearing relationship to Jesus Christ. That's what matters. That's what's going to stand the test of time. That's what's going to happen at the, end, at the end of your life. And let's say some miraculous thing happens, then I outlive you and I do your funeral. And I'm, and I'm standing here and you're there and I'm up here and you're in the casket. I'm not. You know, I'm standing up here upright and, uh, you know, I could say some nice things about you. Like, he was, he was a great da-da-da-da-da. He loved to fish. He loved to hunt. He loved to take long walks and wherever you loved to take long walks at. I could say all those things and everybody would go, oh, wasn't he a nice guy or she a nice woman? But if I could say one thing about your life that would make a major difference in everybody around you at that funeral, if I could say one thing, if I could say one thing about you, that would be a game changer to your family and your friends and all your, even your enemies. If I could say he or she was in a fruit-bearing relationship to Jesus Christ, fruit-bearing, everybody could see it, everybody knew it, fruit-bearing relationship to Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, if I could say those words at your funeral or if you could say those words about me at my funeral, then it would be a win. It would be a win-win, my purpose in life and your purpose in life. Do not miss this. Do not walk out here misunderstanding this. Your purpose in life is to be in a fruit-bearing relationship to Jesus. And when you do that, everything, everything else falls in place. A fruit-bearing relationship to Jesus Christ. That's your purpose. You know your worth? I'm worth God's son. You know, your purpose, fruit-bearing relationship to Jesus Christ. Now, just go out and take that broken, fragmented mirror and reflect the glory of the living God through those concepts. And I'm telling you, Psalm 90 is amazing. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to all stand with me. And let's start here. Let's start right here. Let's just, you utter this prayer right now. Let's have you utter this prayer. God, I want you to reveal yourself. I want to know. I want to know you like I've never known you before. And then what I want you to do is I want you to put your hands out like this. Not like this, like this. This is the receiving posture before God. And I want to pray over you. And this is my prayer. This is what my heart prayer for you is. It's simply this. May the Lord favor you. May the Lord show his favor upon you and bless you. May he establish the work of your hands. May he allow you to live in a fruit-bearing relationship with him. And may you know your worth all the days of your life. And may he establish you in every way based upon the truth of God's word. And my friends, listen carefully. That is Psalm 90. And that's how you find your way back after you've lost your bearings. God bless you.